0: The Home Show with Sinead Ryan.
1: This is News Talk.
0: Welcome along to the Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today is the ancient craft of dry stone walls in danger of dying out. We hear from people seeking to have the tradition preserved. From converted convents to new bills, we meet the people responsible for some of the most innovative social housing solutions in the country. Do you know the difference between your blanket, pashmina and shawl? We're going to look at top Irish designers wrapping you in style this year. And from concrete to dried flowers, is it yay or nay? Well, Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be joining me later to give us her take. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text The Home Show here at 53106 for 30 Cent or email us at Show at newstalk.com. I'm on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and our podcasts on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, it got me thinking uh, during the week, there was the big row still going on about the National Maternity Hospital. I was writing about it in the Irish Independent um, and I wasn't the only one uh, last week uh, as it rumbles on. But it brings up again, for me anyway, the mess that was made of the whole redress scheme from religious orders after the horrendous institutional abuse that went on for decades and decades. And we're not delving back into that now, I can tell you. But it strikes me that there are dwindling populations of nuns and priests who have hundreds of acres of land and buildings completely underutilised and which could be repurposed into much needed housing uh, for people around the country. Now, one of my guests later on has done just that, creating 56 homes from an old convent. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him. And what what is rare is wonderful. But what I want to ask you today is, do you think we should be taking land off the remaining religious orders? I mean, have they given enough in terms of redress? Are they living in splendid isolation on hectares of land that could be repurposed? What would Jesus do? But I want to know what what would you do? Uh, And uh, just your sense of where we are at with all of that and whether this could be a really practical solution for the religious orders. I mean, you know, They're going to get a bunch of money for it uh, and indeed for our own housing programme as it progresses ever so slowly. Get in touch with us today on text 53106. I'd be really interested in hearing some views on that. Of of course, you can email us at at newstalk.com and I'm on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And you're very welcome along today. Now, I'm heading out to the west of Ireland this weekend and one of the things I am so looking forward to is seeing the beautiful and uniquely Irish dry stone walls that our country is world famous for. But is it a dying skill or are we seeing a revival? Well, I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Rory O'Shaughnessy who's a tour guide and heritage specialist and member of the Dry Stone Wall Association of Ireland. Good morning, Rory. Welcome along to the home show.
2: Good morning, Sinead, and Thank you for having me on.
0: Now, take me through the different methods of dry stone walling used around the country. I, I, are there regional differences?
2: Well, first thing about dry stone walling is it's something anybody can do a little bit of. And there's been a revolution in the last number of years in dry stone walling, and there's been such an exciting time for it. And we have so many different types of stone walls all around the country, and it all depends on the local stone you have. So you use the stone you find locally. So if you have, um, in the barn here, we have a lot of rock that's taken straight off bedrock. And we have really these amazing sort of slab or upright walls you'll see as you travel through the barn and the Iron Islands. And then you go up to the Moor Mountains and you've got granite and you've got the great Mooran walls. And go down to Wexford and you've got these herringbone style walls. And there's just so much variation and different styles.
0: Now, something they all have in common is that it's a very strong way to build. And, you know, given that you're not using cement or mortar or anything to join it together, how is it so strong?
2: Well, again, it stands up using friction. So you you use the stone by building the stone into the wall and there's a set of rules that you might follow. And if you follow that, you will have a strong construction. Uh, the amazing thing about dry stone walls is they stand even on the top of the highest hills here in the barn. Now, you look at them, they look like they're going to tumble over and mm. you can see light between them. Mm. And it's just enough to scare sheep that they're not going to climb over and fall down on top of them. And yet that is gives them great strength in that... On the top of those hills, the wind actually blows through them. So they act like uh, a net, not a sail. They don't catch the wind and they oh, don't blow I see. over.
0: see. How interesting. Of course and, that makes sense.
2: And also the great thing about them, because they don't have cement or concrete, they don't crack. I think even modern engineers can see that You know, in time, there's a lot of problems with concrete. And we're seeing that now with a number of bridges that collapse. There are easily enough around the world. But stone will move. It'll move with the ground. It'll spread. It'll widen. A bit like it's all over time. (laughs) But that's what makes them so beautiful. And they can be repaired, you know. And um, once we can keep the skills and the crafts alive... We'll always have our stonewall.
0: Rory, I was interested, in, you said earlier, well, it was kind of a throwaway thing. You said, oh, anyone can do it. I'm sure anybody cannot do it, but you do, there are classes available and, and kind of festivals built around this old tradition. Talk to me more about that.
2: I think about 2005, Brie Mannion, who'd be heritage officer at Galway County Council, amazing heritage officer, and she put on a and um, symposium in Aston and they were expecting about fifty people to turn up, and they were overwhelmed. About ten times that turned up, wow. and they were couldn't believe the people and the different backgrounds. There was architects and engineers, farmers, stonewallers, artists, environmentalists, and that just you know grew and grew. From that, we had the festival, out in Inish year, which. Iron Island had five thousand kilometres of stone walls alone, Goodness. alone, and people would came all around the world and smaller Ireland to that festival, the Failing in the Clock, the Festival of the Stone. From that, we had the Dry stone Walling Association that was set up. It's been a, a really exciting times, and and the most important thing I think is just keeping the skill and the craft alive. And a part of that now is our application now. Um, to UNESCO to have going to all industry, including the inventory of intangible cultural heritage. Okay, I'm kind,
0: of, I, I'm kind of surprised Rory that it hasn't been already. I mean this is such an ancient art form. It's it's more or less unique to Ireland as far as I can see and and yet it hasn't been picked up yet. So you've put in an application to UNESCO. What are you looking for in return?
2: First off we uh, put in an application to join with another number of countries uh, to see dry stone wall, including this uh, inventory of intangible cultural heritage for the world, put it as its right place as something of international importance. Hmm. So we're joining with countries like Croatia, Cyprus, France, Greece, Italy, Slovenia, Spain, and (laughs) Switzerland. It's like our own European championship. (laughs) And the other amazing thing is, Sinead, is... We are on top of the league in terms of stonewalling. Um, there was a, a brilliant piece of work done by a guy called George Muller, who surveyed all the stone walls across Europe and mm. field boundaries. And Ireland has 600,000 kilometres of dry stone walls wow. and airfield banks with stone faces. That's
0: incredible.
2: So, again, the reason we are looking for this is recognition of the craft mm. and those involved in it who have worked so tirelessly to uh, preserve the craft and the stone walls and the skills. And also we're looking for create awareness among the public and the state and the importance of it. Uh, we also want to you know rubber stance the uh, international reputation Ireland has as being a mecca for dry mm-hmm. stonewalling.
0: Now, when people like aside from the the uh, the ancient heritage that we have, uh, and I know you're now talking about a revival and people are doing it now in classes and all that, how do you translate uh, the art form uh, to to a home?
2: Well, I think we've seen the last couple of years due to COVID that there's been a craze in home improvements. And of course, now we have to be out in our gardens and our patios are more important. And the skills that people learn on some of these courses can be easily transferred to people doing rockeries and little walls in their garden and flower beds and um, barbecues. I see a lot of um, houses down here now in the west of Ireland. Part of your planning permission requires you to build a stone wall in front. And there's some really beautiful, we call them feature walls because they use cement and mortar, some lovely examples. But it's great to see that more and more of these walls you use using dry stone
0: construction. Now, before I let you go, Rory, um, I believe that there is a, a, an unusual connection between dry stone walling and river dance. Tell me about
2: that. <laughs> um, well, I mentioned earlier on about the Dry Stone Symposium at Rye, which was set up by Marie Manu and um, Galway County Council. Well, for that, one of the key speakers was uh, the brilliant um, Professor Seamus Caulfield from the Cage of mm-hmm. in Mayo. And um, he told a story. So it's not my story, but yeah, I think it's good enough to be repeated. So if you remember the 1980s, praised in different towns, having anniversaries and celebrations of it was 500 years of Galway. Then the Cork had 800 years. The Dubs, of course, we had a thousand. gone another step. 1,000 years. you remember the 50 people? <laughs> Do indeed. Lennon, Do you indeed. probably a few of them, Sinead. <laughs> and the ca-
0: candle. <laughs> and your
2: candle, yeah. So Mayo wasn't going to be outdone. <laughs> okay. So Mayo was going to have 5,000 years. Now, how was Mayo 5,000 years old? Because the cage it Seals were built 5,000 years ago. And these walls were found under bogs. So the bogs actually formed on top of the walls. So they're claiming Mayo 5,000. So this was going to be a year of celebration of everything Mayo. And, of course, we need to launch this celebration. So at the time, we got a couple of unknown producers and a composer and a couple of Irish-American, Irish dancers who, of course, turned out to be John McCall and Maya Doherty and Bill Whelan, Gene Butler and Michael Flatley and, Michael and Anuna. And this was a great success. A couple of months later, Ireland was hosting the Eurovision and needed an interval.
0: There you and go. And, of
2: course, the whole team was brought back together and Riverdance. Absolutely fine.
0: Well, I think so you can go back, at the look. Dry Stone Walling Heritage Association can take absolute credit for the emergence of Riverdance.
2: Well, it wasn't for the Dry Stone Walling and the Cage of Fields, we wouldn't have had Mayo 5000. And if it wasn't that, we wouldn't have the to coming together of Bill Wheeling and all the team of Riverdance. and if we would not have that, we wouldn't have the Interval Act at Eurovision. And if that, we would not that, we wouldn't have.
0: And you wouldn't have <laughs> been on the home show here on News Talk this morning. <laughs> Rory, surely your greatest achievement, Rory O'Shocknessy, Heritage Specialist and stone worker member of the Dry Stonewall Association of Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk this morning.
2: Thank you, Sinead.
0: Now, we don't often get to feature good news stories when it comes to public and social housing, so when one comes along, it's important to give it an airing. 56 families received the keys to their new home in Boltinglass last week in a development built on the grounds of a convent. Well, joining me now to discuss it is CEO of Respond Housing, Declan Don. Declan, you're very welcome along to the home show today. Uh, lovely to meet you, Sinead. Now, firstly, I suppose congratulations on getting this scheme up and running. How did it come about
1: so this is really one of, of quite a lot of different ones we're doing around the country. Um, so the, we are, our overall programme, we've just short of 4,500 homes over a five-year period, and we've delivered 1,300 of those so far in the, over that period, from 2018 up to 2023. And we have just short of 1,500 in construction. So this is, for us, it's a wonderful experience, but it's one of many all around the country. And how it happens really is... We're focused on providing homes for people whose income means that they qualify for social housing. So we're thinking about what will it be like for those people who live there. We've been at this for 40 years now, since 1992. Next year is our 40th anniversary. And our focus is about what it feels like for those families, those children and those individuals. So it's no different in Balding Glass. Again, we're thinking about what it'll be like for those people there. Mm.
0: Now, it strikes me that if the criteria is that they are on the waiting list and in need of social housing, well, that's an awful long list in Wicklow as uh, as well as everywhere else. So how do you whittle that down?
1: Yeah, so... The allocations is done by the local authority, you know, so it's not our process. We support it. um, So we're obviously keen to think about the mixture. So in this case, there are 50 local families moving in here. Um, There are 17 older people because we have apartments specifically for them there. And there are a small number of refugee families because we support people, Syrian refugees who are programme refugees, who have an entitlement to live in Ireland. And we provide a service to them in four counties to help them with translation and all of that. So so having that mix is really important. Mm-hmm. So the playgrounds, the play areas, understanding how many children and babies there'll be there, how many young people there, how many older people.
0: OK, and I do want to talk to you about some of those families who got their keys. But before I do, let's hear a clip from one of them.
1: I'm absolutely feeling wonderful. I actually feel like I've just won the lottery. This is one of the best days. It feels like it's
3: been forever coming. I'm crying. I'm happy. I just can't stay still. I just want to get this done and move it. I have my keys to my own home. This is amazing.
0: Now, when you hear something like that, uh, you know, it's so heartwarming, Declan, Mm -hmm. but there's that sense that you're not just giving people a home. You're giving them their life and dignity back, really.
1: Yeah. So... The beauty of this is that these are lifetime homes. So in this case, you know, when the, the tenants that I met last week in Balting Glass, they know that not only have they a beautiful home, but it's not for one year or two years or 25 years. It's theirs for their lifetime. In fact, if their children qualify in income grounds after they pass, it can be their home as well.
0: Now, let me ask you why you chose a convent and what particular challenges uh, there were in terms of retrofitting that.
1: I suppose really where where you start with is you're looking for opportunities anywhere you can get it. But if you get a site like that, you're probably going to get very nice grounds. You're probably going to have a beautiful setting. And what struck me about this when I was there is that when I looked between the gap between some houses, and I could see the greenery of the Wicklow Hills. I was going, oh mm. gosh, I wouldn't lie, love to have You'd that. You'd love to be looking yeah. out at that in yeah. the morning. Was that, yeah. you know, that, oh, that would yeah. be that sense. It's sensitive. just so therapeutic. Yeah.
0: When it comes to, you know, the minute I hear the word site and mm. property and housing, I'm thinking immediately, planning, planning, planning. Is the process any different for an approved housing body like yourselves to get things over the line? Because it strikes me there can't be people out there who no. don't want developments like this.
1: So... Um, so there's one planning system for the country. And of course, we it applies to us in the same way as it applies to others. Um, we're fortunate that from the beginning, our founder um, realized that we should take on board our own architect. So we actually have uh, like a group of professionals of over 20 architects, planners and quantities of airs who work directly for us. There are mm. 320 staff in total in respond. Now 190 of those are providing childcare services in services we run. 17 of them older person services, you know daycare services, refugee resettlement programs, small number of staff, and also um like a whole the whole gambit mm. of, of services. Mm. But in order to do what we're doing, Amber, our building program is 1.3 billion. Euros over that five-year period, so to do that and to do it well, like it really is important that we would have you know professionally qualified people overseeing all of that.
0: But do you find that there do you run into the same issues that we see to see with private developers all over the place that people object? We want social housing. We don't want it here. It's better over there. You know. uh, People, it, it really has become, and you've seen even the High Court challenges where you try to speed yeah. up developments.
1: Yeah. So, so of course, you know people have fears and concerns. You know, I'm lucky enough to own my own home. It's a very modest home, but I own it. You know, and people have concerns, but mostly it's grounded in their memory of what social housing looked like. Mm. You know, and I think you will agree, or anybody looks at our website, or if you look at that report, you'll see the photographs. Like they're stunningly beautiful. No, they are. Yeah. And
0: listen, you, yeah. cu- you, cu- you couldn't look at this yeah. and not think what a fabulous mm. place to live. What a fabulous development to drive past or to have in your community.
1: But people don't like change. No, they don't. But I think what has ha- is happening is that people are realising that. Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, the real challenge, the real challenge is that people want to buy their houses, can't buy them. Like to me. That's the outrage, really.
0: <laughs> and Declan, was it all terribly expensive? What do these houses cost?
1: Yeah, so the houses in in Glass cost us 232,885 euros on average. Now, there's one, two and three beds in that. So that's a that's a pretty good price. That's remarkably yeah. cheaper than yeah. we are told it costs to build
0: houses. Mm. Do you think that's just because the land element has been taken away from you?
1: Like so, we're a charity, but we're also very business-like. We have a fantastic volunteer board of amazingly competent people, and they expect us to manage, you know, the the public's money carefully. Mm. So, out of the four thousand four hundred fifty-seven homes in our five-year program, the average cost that we we're delivering from is two hundred ninety-seven. 1,073 euros 84 cent right and that's on the average cost so below 3,000 and now that's taking into account that includes apartment buildings of 6 stories in which the is expensive area, which is more expensive so, so we think it's really important and one of our keys is that in our dealings we insist on fixed price contracts
0: oh
1: well now if we had that across the board
0: including in a certain children's hospital we'd probably be better off Declan Dunn, CEO of Respond Housing. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thanks, Ned. Now, my producer was off last week and he went out for his first outdoor meals in over a year and a half. As the evening went on, he was delighted to see the restaurant had blankets for diners to use as it got colder. But it was a case of blanket envy when one had brought their own designer blankets and Pashmina's with them. So we thought, you know what, let's have a look at all of the new accessories that need to go with outdoor dining. And I'm delighted (laughs) to be joined by entrepreneur, broadcaster and friend of the show, Lorraine Keane. Good morning, Lorraine. Welcome back to the Home Show. Thank you, Sinead. Lovely to be on with you again. Now, have you been doing uh, outdoor dining with the family?
4: I have um, no choice really up to to, uh, now, and you know we all have to bear the elements in this country and and take our chances. So yes, I have invested in my own blankets for two reasons: one, just in case the restaurant doesn't have one, and also it's nice to support all the fabulous. Irish businesses that we have.
0: Now, let's look at some of the blankets you've been looking at that you can fit into your Mm. bag because that's the other thing. You don't want to look as if you're kind of going on holidays when you're going down to a local restaurant. Now, your first pick is Hyde Designs.
4: Yes, Irish Hyde Designs is a fabulous Irish company that not only make your throws and rugs and scarves in, you know, merino wool, lambswool, cashmere, they also do sheepskin rugs sheepskin now
0: I'm thinking of that
4: in front of the fire on the floor would you not look a bit like a caveman going around with (laughs) that around your shoulder listen I I don't care I put it on my lap and I sat on it so um and it's small so you can roll it up okay um yeah so and it it definitely because it's sheepskin it's the warmest thing you'll ever of course of
0: course and Um, natural and
4: sustainable because the sheep needs to be sheared and we've plenty of those in this country. They also <laughs> do gorgeous do. little little booties and slippers and things like that for um for babies and and for us. Good. So yes, that's a lovely a lovely company to look up and to follow, maybe on Instagram. The cozy is K O Z Y. Right now, um, Foxford, of course, is uh, oh, a big fan of yeah. that on this show because it's Love just them.
0: such a beautiful uh, company and lovely designs. Talk to me about yeah. what you found there.
4: Well, I've actually visited the factory and I've seen them making the beautiful throws and blankets and rugs that uh, that they design and manufacture. So that was an incredible experience and anybody can do that. So I'd highly recommend it. And again, they come in the most fabulous colours and shapes and sizes. And um, the only thing. That, you know, if you if you go to Foxford Woolen Mills, you will not walk out of there empty handed (laughs) because they have so many nice things, Mm. you know, furniture and tableware and all of that as well. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful experience. And then John Hanley is another gorgeous Irish company Um, and again, designed and manufactured in Ireland, Merino, Lambswool, cashmere. Um, and I, yeah, would highly recommend you look them up as well. There's great Irish companies. We're so lucky. I mean, Stable of Ireland is another one that you probably know. We do they indeed. They have the shop we've in the Westbury. had their yeah.
0: masks on the show because they're beautiful uh, linen um, kind of uh, yes. creations. They're only down the road here in the Westbury yes. Mall. So um, they
4: do nice blankets. They do, and pashminas and scarves and linen swim towels. You know, I've taken up sea swimming in the last, yes. whatever, 16 months. I'm one of the newbies to the sea. And again, they're just, they're they're practical, they're beautiful, they're natural. Um, and you can roll them up really small and tight. And I suppose that is the point, isn't it? It's, it's, it's being practical.
0: Now, of course, you are a super champion of female entrepreneurs, Lorraine. And um, I know that on your Instagram page you often feature items uh, that have been created by women uh, in this yes. the whole area of style and yeah. fashion and all of that kind of thing and sustainability. I, mm-hmm. I have a kind of a theory that when the mm-hmm. chips are down, it is women mm-hmm. who start looking around and going, what can I do here to make I things know. a little bit differently? They kind of I pivot more easily, yeah. to use that awful phrase. Yeah. Um, do you believe that we are a great centre for women who want to create in the design space.
4: Absolutely. And to think of, I mean, these, a lot of these female entrepreneurs who, you know, you think had a little bit more time because of lockdown and the pandemic. Actually, they didn't because they were juggling homeschooling with, you know, usually small children, maybe looking after parents, elderly neighbours, and they still managed to be creative during that time so one of the the companies that i absolutely adore uh, and again it's only about 12 months old uh, laura nolan hogan who has a brand called lnh edit and laura nolan is the daughter of fran nolan from fran and jane so she has worked in the the fashion uh, and design space since she was you know like straight out of college and uh, yeah she she decided to come up with this fabulous homeware table dressings kind of table settings um, company and again all ethically sourced and handmade and it just it does take the picnic to a whole new level it's you know there are things that i've used in the house um you know setting the table i think what, what, what i was cert- certainly trying to recreate that restaurant atmosphere mm. uh, both in my kitchen <laughs> uh, <laughs> breakfast room and in my back garden and um, and that's what you can do with these beautiful pieces. You know, it can just make you, yeah, make it more of a special occasion. But um, so that's Laura Nolan Hogan and that's LNH Edit. Right. Well, Companies of course, the old there.
0: adage, if you want something done, ask a busy woman. And I just have yeah. Lorraine <laughs> Keane, entrepreneur, TV presenter and very busy woman uh, on Instagram. You, Certainly. It. Um, it's lovely <laughs> to talk to you again on the home show.
4: And likewise. Thank you so much.
0: Now, I am delighted uh, this week to welcome back Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner uh, and winner on the home show here. Uh, (laughs) Jennifer, you're very welcome back to studio this week. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Why are we talking about the Flintstones in a design space? It is because everything was made from rubble, not burning rubble, (laughs) uh, rubble, concrete, stone. And that is the focus of what we're looking at uh, this week. Now. I, I am confident that the listeners out there will be having a Marmite moment when it comes mm. to concrete in the home, because for some people like me, it should only ever be behind the walls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for others, of course, it is it is a feature in itself. And um, now, of course, listeners can let us know what they think by texting us here on 53106 uh, for 30 cent or emailing us at the home show uh, at Newstalk.com. But Jennifer, you're a fan.
3: I love it. Now, I'm not suggesting we go back to full Flintstones. I don't think it's rubble everywhere. But I think I do quite like that industrial look with a bit of a caveat that I love it tempered by very soft furnishings. So I love, I think concrete goes really well with other natural materials. Glass, wood looks fabulous. Metals, I think it looks really well. Lots of really nice houseplants. I think lots of leafy greens can go really well with it. And then what I love against all of that kind of hard, cold backdrop is really soft furnishings so you know those boucle couches you see them in the the gooby chairs lovely soft almost fluffy style couches uh, really really nice fabric to I love them Soft soften the edges in. kind of yeah, thing yeah because you can put so much on it you can really go to town on soft furnishings once you have that really hard mm. under you know background let's say
0: can you? I mean, I'm sorry, of course you need to, but I'm thinking, why go for the hard surfaces in the first place? I was looking during the week because um, a particular house popped up on my social media feed, which is called Cole Lane House. Now, it's a house yeah. in Cabra in Dublin. Uh, folks, look it up if um, if you can, because it's an extraordinary building. It's incredible. Okay? Whether you like it or love it, it's an extraordinary feat. And it is almost entirely I mean, apart from the glass bits, concrete.
3: Yeah. So it's a husband and wife team. Um, he's an architect and she's an interior designer. And they built the house of their dreams. And I think it is an absolute marvel. It's a real masterpiece. Concrete everywhere. They've concrete on the floors. They've concrete on their kitchen countertops. There's concrete sinks. Um, And that is such a good example of what you can do with concrete. Because if you, if somebody like you, Sinead, doesn't love the whole concrete floor look or the whole concrete everything look, you can bring it in in small places. Concrete is so flexible, really, really flexible. You can bring it in for sinks, little countertop areas, and it lasts forever.
0: So, uh, I, and absolutely, it's durable. I mean, there's no there's no question about it. Uh, so you do get that. When I think of concrete, I think of just the sheer solidness, mm. the, the permanence of it, the weight of it. But mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily thinking of that in a good way. Talk to me about the concrete sink. that you you put in
3: I love it so I cheated a bit I have a concrete sink I got it on Etsy from a designer called Roberto Taranti I'll put it up on my Instagram afterwards um, at workers cottage but that is pink so that's cheating. It's not cold looking, it's not you know, it's not harsh looking. It's it's a pink D- thing no, it just when, happens to when be you made say of concrete.
0: It's pink is is the concrete um kind of colored pink or mm. is it painted afterwards? So he painted it. This
3: is painted and sealed. You can color the concrete though in a number of different ways. You can put a dye in through it so you can get whatever color you want. Some people love that really bare light gray colored concrete. Some people want a much darker look, so you can mix that through as well. But you could put in blues, you could put in pinks, you could
0: put in greens, you could do whatever you wanted. So when you bought this sink then, okay, Mm. I'm thinking, how did the postman deliver that? But anyway, (laughs) when you brought that sink and you had it in your bathroom, what did you do with it then? So it's on a it's on just a normal vanity. I have a normal
3: IKEA vanity. I have a little bugbear with vanities. We might talk about that another day. But it's on a normal IKEA vanity. And what I did was I just got two legs. I got them from a company called superfront.com. They're little brass legs and they sit on the front of it. And that provides plenty of weight because concrete feels heavy, but actually it's going on areas. If it's a sink or if it's a countertop or something like that, it's an area that's taking weight anyway. They're usually designed to take weight. So even, for example, with with kitchen countertops, which I've seen in Coal House, and they're just gorgeous, I would have thought that they would need a full metal frame yeah, kitchen unit yeah. to put it on or concrete to put or it concrete or more concrete which I would be for I would be all for that but they don't it's actually okay you can put it on standard kitchen units I've seen places advise that you maybe bolt them up a little bit with some extra MDF or something like that or mm. feet mm. Um, but it's fine and they fit
0: and yeah now it's not cheap it's um, not. So no, no, look. You think it, it would be. It's just concrete because it's just concrete mm. and we have loads of it and we build houses with it. Yeah. Um, but but it's quite expensive. It
3: is. It's expensive. So what I found was around 60 to 130 euro per square meter. So oh. the smaller area you get the the more it's going to cost per square meter. The larger area you get the less it's going to cost per square meter. And really what goes into it is the work. So the concrete and the mixing of the concrete itself, not that expensive, but pouring it so that it is perfectly level, polishing it, Mm. buffing it to that really Mm. high quality shine and then sealing it. That is what takes the extra bit of money. Okay,
0: And of course, because it's concrete poured, you can mould it pretty much into, into any shape. So that's a good thing.
3: It's so flexible. If you had an unusual kitchen size or you wanted to put in a strange looking island or even... A table, a dining table, a chair. What I've seen, actually, we were talking about this last week, was sun loungers. Beautiful concrete poured sun loungers. In real well, life now, so I have do seen
0: those in the nicest of spas. Oh, I don't yes. know if I want one in my own back garden, but they but they, they are <gasps> nice, especially if they're heated underneath. Yeah, them. It's nice.
3: so there's a mosaic tiles on top. Exactly, and and exactly. Now, for path. people
0: who might be worried about the weight of it and, and all that, there is a product called Micro cement. Is that like a slip effectively?
3: I guess it's it's a thin layer of concrete that's poured on top of your regular floor. So you're not going for the full depth um and you're not going you're not going to get the same options available to you in terms of polishing. But it is a thin layer of concrete and if all you want is that very standard light gray polished look then you'll get that. You won't be able to get what they can do with deeper concrete pours which is potentially that terrazzo effect.
0: Now, there's another company that I know you came about which is this, I, okay, these words shouldn't go in the same <laughs> sentence. Printing concrete products. 3D
3: printed concrete what products. What is that about? Why not? So 3D printing is, it's actually a very old technology. We're not that used to it because the patent uh, expired not so long ago. So it wasn't brought to the wider public, but it's actually around a long time. And it's not as complicated as you might think. You put something liquid into a nozzle um, and then fixing it in the point in space is what's complicated. But what you pour through it, not so much. So anything could technically go through it. Anything that you can extrude and that will dry in air can go through Mm. it. And concrete is one of those. So I found a company called Incremental 3D. They're based in Austria. um, And they have... Uh, created a suite of 3D concrete printing machines and artists around the world have done really incredible things with these there are sculptures there are installations there's some beautiful furniture around the place well worth looking up and just seeing what people have done
0: who knew right well listen we remain polarised in you I'm still not <laughs> very fan. curious to hear what people think <laughs> love your sink but beyond that not so much but do let us know what you think 53106 and uh, we will uh, be very interested in getting the yay or nay actually I'll put it up there on my Twitter after the show <laughs> a yay or a nay because we, we've done it with a couple of the products you've talked about in the past and people get very polarized It's a yay from opinion. me I'm going to tell you right <laughs> now and It's a nay <laughs> from me so there you go Now one of the other things that I think we're going to agree on uh, at least I hope we are, is the whole area of um, floral, indoor floral decorations. Now, mm-hmm. it, look, it's the time of year when where I'm cutting little bits of roses and little bits of things from the garden and putting them in vases and that's lovely. But for the rest of the year, you know, you do, you oh, you don't died, really have they? that opportunity. <laughs> and they just are. They're very expensive to kind of keep so the flowers out. So lots of people, including me, turn to silk and dried flowers and I think this whole area had a really bad name in the past because all people could think about was, you know, on on a gravestone you get these horrible plastic domed flowers that sit there, and it just looks so clearly plastic and they're clearly dead and and clearly plastic, not at all stylish. (laughs) But there has been a huge revival in fake uh, flowers. Yeah. Um, So talk to me about what you have and what you like about that.
3: I am the biggest fan in the world of fake flowers, dried flowers, preserved flowers. And I know my Auntie Jane is going to be listening to me and she's going to kill me because she's the most wonderful gardener, but I can't keep them alive. I've tried. I've done my best. It's just not within my power. So I love dried flowers. I have them everywhere. They're amazing. There's two places I got mine from in Dublin. One is I have two bouquets beside my bed. Since August 2020 I just want to shout out and they're still perfect so that is my kind of bunch of flowers mm. um, and this is the crate so the crate.ie they put together these gorgeous bouquets of, of flowers they're all dried um, they're stunning and they will last forever mm. Mm. Um, pretty much and then the other place where I got flowers that I've dotted around the house is Joseph M. Duffy so this is they, they, it won't be put into a bouquet for you that's up to you but if you wanted something specific maybe for a wedding maybe you wanted something that was out of season so maybe you're getting married in winter time, and you want okay, I don't know flowers, but something that grows in summertime, and you can't get it. Dried flowers the way to go. You can they get everything. They are. Anything.
0: I did it at my own wedding. Um, listeners will know that I got married at the very beginning of the year, first of January. Not a peak time for the floral season, it has to be said. But uh, my sisters decorated um the the uh, wedding venue with these dried uh, the silk flowers. Yeah, uh, all beautiful. the way up the thing. Absolutely fantastic. They're and so I got to take gorgeous. them home
3: afterwards. And you can so keep it's fantastic. Them. Exactly. And they're not hard to dry. So if you do get a bunch of flowers that you really like, you can cut them, you can wrap a little twine around them, you can hang them up and they're fine in a few weeks' time mm. depending on how dry the area mm. is. Mm. One thing that won't work is a flower with a very heavy petal because the petal will just snap off. So you want something like a rose, with a more kind of closed, tightly held petal, and that will do perfectly.
0: Okay. Now, when you're drying flowers, I know this was a kind of a lost Victorian art <laughs> because young ladies who really couldn't be, you know, expected to hold down a job or do anything <laughs> useful would spend their time drying flowers. It was mm. all the rage during Victorian times, and they'd press them and put them in. Big heavy books and mm-hmm. and all that, and I took a few petals off my wedding bouquet and did ah, exactly the gorgeous. same thing. And I probably didn't do it properly, but it worked. I put it's it between. It's not that hard to it's do. It's not because it. no. all what you're really just doing is taking the moisture out of it. Exactly. I did it the old-fashioned way. I put the petals between two tissues mm-hmm. and then put it in a really heavy the Oxford English Dictionary, if anybody's interested. And then put another <laughs> thesaurus on top of it, so it's a wordy pair of flowers. And. Um, put, Left that there for a few months. Yeah, and um, and they were perfect.
3: And they're st- they're still there. I can. Imagine. And they're
0: still there. So what can you do with it afterwards, Jennifer? Because once you have that, then you can mm. you can display it in a frame or
3: yeah, there's lots, especially it. if it's a memorable bunch like your wedding bouquet. People pour resin around it. I've seen absolutely gorgeous plates, little coasters, etc., made out of you know bunches your your wedding bouquet, for example, and that's a really nice piece of memorabilia to have. You can eat them. So in certain cases, you can eat them. I probably Roses won't are a good example. That,
0: okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you see in posh restaurants, They're you edible. see petals
0: yeah. all of fancy desserts and all that. kind yeah. of
3: Yeah. So I loved. I get dried. I get edible flowers sometimes, and I dry them and press them, and I put them into wedding cakes. So around the side of a cake, you can just stick them
0: straight into the buttercream, and they look so beautiful. They're really, really, really nice. And, the, and you can buy kits now. There's a kind of a like a silica, like a gel. Yeah, is that you were talking this is about? actually mm. brilliant.
3: So if you don't love the dried flower look, because it is, it it doesn't look like a French a fresh bunch of flowers. They are dried. So if you don't love that look, and there's something else you want to preserve, you can get a bag of silica. It's like sand, really light sand, and you pour it in around your flowers or your bouquet, whatever it is that you want. Now just be careful that you're not, you know, crushing any petals, and that you're, you know, as you pour it in, you're being nice and gentle. You leave it there for a week. You gently lift it out, dust off the sand and you have a preserved bunch of flowers. Again, pretty much forever. You can kill them. You don't have to water them. Maybe dust them every now and then. Done.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's a lovely hobby, actually, even for children to do, yeah. to get to be very delicate. And, now, are there other ways of drying the flowers in the first place? Because, uh, I mean, putting them between a book is all very, you know, that's fine. Yeah. It worked, but... Maybe there's better ways to do it. I know that you...
3: You can hang them. If you have a garage, you can just hang them up. I came across one tip. I can't personally attest to it because I haven't done it. But I came across a tip that if you put them in the boot of your car, they dry out especially quickly. Maybe somebody out there knows why the boot of a car is a particularly
0: dry place. I don't know. The car smells nice as you're going around as well. Exactly. Bonus. Now, I I wonder then, is it much of a leap then to make something like your own potpourri? So, do oh, you yeah. think that maybe you could use dried flowers, maybe a drop of essential oil yeah. in a little muslin bag, yeah.
3: something like that? They would should be, be quite able nice. to take that. I mean, you don't want to re wet them, so.
0: Oh, that's, that's the only true. thing to be careful about. Well, maybe on the but bag you itself, could do, let it soak in. Let it soak in, yeah. and what you
3: could do is mix through maybe some pine cones or some twigs, little sticks, something that it doesn't matter if it gets too wet. I don't think it will. I don't know if it's going to be oh, a problem. Oh, sure it's only but going it in, in your gorgeous. knicker drawer
0: anyway. Anyway, <laughs> if anybody knows out there how to make potpourri, do let us know. We'd Text to me know. in on five three one zero six, and uh, or push up on Twitter. I'm on Sinead underscore <laughs> Ryan, and I will give that a retweet. I'm sure there's somebody who's doing that right now as we speak. <laughs> Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner. Thank you so much for joining us on the Home Show.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: And that is all we've time for this week. If you'd like to uh, get involved in the show, send us any recommendations or maybe uh, suggest a guest we haven't yet spoken to, please do that. You can drop us a text at any time on 53106 or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Sure, look, I'll even take those suggestions on my old Twitter feed. Don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast on the Newstalk website. And of course, Jennifer Sheehan is on Workers Cottage on Instagram. Thanks to the production team today, Gart Mulhall and Stephen who who's on sound. Have a fantastic weekend and I'll see you next week.